What's going on, everybody? And welcome, welcome, welcome back to another edition, another installment, another episode. to play that for a lot what's going on everybody and welcome back to another edition another installment another episode of the black man win podcast with your host Tyler pie guy we are here with another interview with a dope interview and i'm super excited for this one um before we get even get into everything i want to say uh i appreciate everybody for watching the show um tuning into the show whether you watch it on our youtube page or you watch uh, or listen via audio wherever you listen to uh, podcasts from. We are there, so we appreciate you. We thank you. Um, and let's get right into it. Um, if you are watching, you can follow us on, where is it? There we go. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook, all right? So per first question, as as many of you who are returning or are new to the show, uh, we like to, um, per first question, we like to let our guests gas themselves right and in a sense when i say that right <laughs> when i say gas themselves for for those at home um i love my i love my guests to tell to tell the audience about themselves in a more i don't want to say outrageous but in a more just you know strutting your stuff type of way you understand what i'm saying i'm always <laughs> i've always been the type to gas you know, people and 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 even myself in the process, you know, what I'm saying I'm always the type to say you did that, you know, what I'm saying before anybody, you know, what I'm saying, you know, really shout out your accolades and everything before you even get a probably a chance to and you looking at me like really tight, like, yeah, I'm that friend. So, <laughs> you know, I've, I've always kind of been that that type. So I'm gonna let my guests, uh, our, our guest today, introduce himself and gas himself up today. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on. No this problem. is uh, incredible. I think just being here under the, you know, winning and having you ask me to gas myself is, is definitely something I've been working on. Uh, <laughs> growing up, I was not the best at talking positively about myself. Yeah, and so, me too. Trust me. I think for me, my name is Devin Sandiford. I am, uh, I think more than anything, a very resilient person. Um, as many of us Black people are just extremely resilient. I am a writer storyteller. I'm also like a program manager of community engagement for my organization. So going out into organizations, being able to connect with other people to let them know that they should share their stories. It's something that is um, something that I found like late in my life. Mm -hmm. Most of my life, I didn't share my stories with anybody, my personal stories. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, for me, it was like, why would you do that? It's dangerous. You're making yourself vulnerable. <laughs> Um, and it really wasn't until I had kids myself that I was like able to open up and be like, no, the things that I have to say are actually important for me right. to say and important for my kids. And so um, ever since then, I've been going around pretty much every place I can to try and get people to share their stories. Uh, I've been standing on stages mm -hmm. in front of like 1200 people, which is wow. completely foreign to me, um, looking out into the audience and being able to be like, people are listening to me is foreign. Right. And so, right, right. Um, Everywhere I go, I just try and continue that message, the idea of you have something that you want to say, and there's a world out there waiting for you to say it and to, to hear that message and to like take it with them and run with their life. So right. that's all I'm about. Wow, Devin. Come on. First of all, round of applause. Round of applause. Let me tell you something. Listen here. Listen here. There are... Th when, when, you, when you decide to step into the, the world of, of, of talk 
and 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 storytelling and and speech and and really having the confidence to get up on stage when you are naturally an introvert. Trust me, I understand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When yeah. you are naturally an introvert, getting up on stage, one telling your story, is hard. Yes. Getting up on stage to tell your story in front of like hundreds, hell, it could, it could be a room of ten people. And just like Devin said, it could be a room of 1,200 people. It's still low-key nerve-wracking. I still get nervous to this day doing it. I've been doing this for, for, for about five years now. Yeah, people don't understand how terrifying it is, especially <laughs> it for is, an introvert. Yes, like, they will ask me to even just do like, uh, share this little thing at work, a two-minute segment. I'm like, nervous as hell. Like, you guys want me to share this? And, and I don't think people <laughs> understand what it takes for someone who's like, I don't want to share. Right. To share. And then people hear you up there and they can't see the nerves inside your body. So like, Oh, this, this person's like completely he's, confident. He's, it's like, he's like you watching bull- the same thing. Nah, he's stoic. he's a statue. He's not moving. He's, he's, he's literally cold as ice. He's not even, he's not even <laughs> showing his emotions when literally we're, we're sweating. Yes. Gee? We're sweating profusely. My hands are tremble. Tr- my hands tremble. So I, I like to move them around <laughs> so that people can't, can't see my hands trembling. Like my, ha- my hands sweat bad. So I try to, um, I try to like keep my hands in the back of me, or mm. kind of like you said, kind of twiddle my thumbs a little bit in a sense where nobody can see. I'm like not up here, but like you know down <laughs> here, you yeah. know I'm talking and everything. I like to use my hand just you know hand movements for talking sometimes. So sometimes that'll get me out of it. And I think mm. for me, what's made me more comfortable is honestly being on the mic. Um, mm. I think the first time that I was comfortable in talking in front of a class or in talking in front of anybody was actually my speech professor. Shout out to him. Um, who was like, yo, the one thing that most people are scared to do is talk in front of folks. Mm. It doesn't matter. Again, it doesn't matter if it's 10, 100, 1,000, 10,000 people are scared, fearful to talk in front of folks. Right. And it's a practice that you have to get, you know, you continuously have to get better at, but you're always going to have those not sometimes those nerves. And again, I think what works for me is just making sure that I clear my mind. You got this nerve because the, the natural nerves are going to come, but it's just clearing right. your mind, making sure that you got it. And, um, Hell, if you bomb, you bomb. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. I think with the personal story, too, it's like you don't right. often and, and that's, bomb. And that's, like and that's your life. Thing. Like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I try and remind myself, like, the main thing is, like, me telling me, like, those positive affirmations, I do that all day. Like, right. I love me. I love me. Like, it's okay to be who I am. And I try and do that before I go on the stage, but... Usually it takes about a minute to get into like, okay, I'm okay up here. Right. Like I'm not going to die. Right. <laughs> and, and, and it does take that minute. Like it, it really does take that, you know, that, that minute, two minutes be like, okay, all right, breathe. Let the nerves, you know, get all the little nervous stuttering out. And then we can just get this train on moving. So right. brother, we, we, we appreciate you for coming on the show. The fact that you continue to tell stories and not only your personal story, but others in, in a sense and, and finding others to tell their stories because um, storytelling is important. And I think personal storytelling is a, is a big thing. So we want to sit here and give you your flowers and commend you. Hand clap again. You know, that's huge. 
<laughs> that is really some black men uh, winning type shit for me. So I, I, I appreciate you. Um, we, we want you uh, to continue all the success that you're doing. But Devin, we have some questions for you. You mm-hmm. know, we're here to do mm-hmm. some things, to ask mm-hmm. some things. And Devin has listened to the show before, right? And mm-hmm. um, again, he reached out, and I was I was super excited, you know, hearing just just hearing his his story um, briefly over email, and I felt like our questions were perfect for this interview, right? And um, and I felt like you were going to hit on all these questions, um, to hit on all these questions like immaculately so let's get into it our second question that i want to get into you uh get with you about is on the show we talk a lot about um the five fair uh the five feelings um of the black male fairs will in my mind right um mm-hmm. i talk about spiritually mentally physically um emotionally and spiritually right mm-hmm. when we talk mm-hmm. about those five areas where do you see us um when it comes to those areas do you see us heading in a more positive direction um as i've said before i see us as black men um you know we're getting better as time goes on when it comes to tapping into the spiritual and the mental more than like the physical and the financial you understand what i'm saying but what do you see um, when it comes to black men in terms of those five areas, what do, what, what, what would you say to that? Yeah, I think the, I think the first thing I think about is like making sure I, I watch like the narratives that I'm listening to. Right. Um, you talked about it earlier on where, you know, so much of our culture, whether it's the media or the news, like movies and film, try and paint black men as one thing. And I think something that you know black men are successful and black men are great fathers i think one of the things that like comes up a lot is the stereotype that you know all black fathers are like absentee like which is wildly untrue absolutely wildly untrue um so i I do think there's things that we're like we do exceptionally well especially from our vantage point of having been oppressed and we're still doing well in right um so i think like we as like we have like a brotherhood as black men, that's like really strong. Right. We don't always necessarily talk about the things, but we, um, I can go down and like connect with other black men and know that they have my back, like physically, right. like they have my back. I know that. Um, and we communicate that through a head nod or a dap, you know? Um, I think same thing that you were talking about, like mentally, there's like certain level of like understanding mm-hmm. that I know of your life. Like I, you don't have to explain the struggles. You don't have to convince me of them. I know that there's been the struggles and that we can connect on that level. But I absolutely agree that there's like a lot of work we can do, mm-hmm. especially around emotionally and spiritually. And then like financially, I think is something that we can support each other in um, mm. the, the emotional side of things. I think there is always this, like, we got to be tough. Like we got to be, we got to be hard, like mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. to be able to show each other, like a certain level of tenderness or sensitivity is like a negative for us. So many times you go into a space and it's like, you, you got to, I got to, I got to be the toughest. I got to be the hardest. Even when I was um, first becoming a father, I was really excited about being a dad. And um, I knew that I wanted to be a dad since I was like 10. (laughs) That's dope. That's so dope. So 
So when it came around time, my wife told me that she was pregnant. I was like super excited. I was like, I was going into like books and stuff. I was like (laughs) going online, figuring out things that I can connect. Proud super dad. There we go. I joined, I joined one of these um, like social groups. And the first thing that they were like, oh, there's a dad on here. Like, why are you on here? Like, and the name that I picked was like something that connected to like my son. I used to read when he was in the womb, Mm -hmm. I used to read him, um, uh, one of these like stories, I think it was like Winnie the Pooh. And so I named every time I got to a part of Winnie the Pooh, there was like this Cuddleston line that he would actually kick every single time. I promise you, um, he would kick and I could feel it. And so I named it like Cuddleston or Cuddleston pie or something mm-hmm. like connecting to him. And they're like, ah, that's way too soft of a name. And I'm like, I didn't realize I had to be a gangster to come into so, like, the, right. like, what does it have to, how do those <laughs> two things connect? Um, and so I definitely think there's like oh, space okay. we can go into and support each other to be able to talk about the real things that are happening, to, to be able to be you know emotionally connected and not yes. always have to be tough. And I think there's times where I'm like struggling. And if I have to pretend like I'm fine, like, you know, I'm all alone in that as right. opposed to if I, you know, I'm able to speak up about the things that are like moving me inside, then I can really connect with other people, especially black men who right. I know are going through similar things. Um, and then I think the spirituality piece kind of touches on what you asked people to do at the beginning of the podcast, like to be able to gas yourself and mm-hmm. to have that connection to like something that's bigger than you Yes, and to be able to speak to that. And in your speaking, like bring that out in others in the ways in which we are connected to each other and to the universe and to be able to, uh, go throughout our lives and have like spiritual connections and spiritual change, mm-hmm. um, and then honestly, the financial is something that I'm still learning. And so like, Same. I don't know if I can, you know, support others as I'm learning myself. So there is a, a sense of like um, people coming in and teaching me things. And there is a community of black men here. I'll give a shout out last bodega in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Um, shout out for them. They have these events here in the city where they get a group of black people together. They have like these comedy shows, but at the end they have somebody come on who talks about like, you know, saving up for buying a house, how you do the bu- house buying process. Right. It's like a bunch of different financial things. That's like really supportive for the community um, that I definitely need. Cause I, I don't know if I have any literacy in financial aspects of life. <laughs> me, me, Dev. I, I think um, you, you hit, you hit something, but well, you hit everything spot on. What really tapped in with me was the, when, when you talked about the emotional part, um, the aspect of you and your son, beautiful, right? The fact that you go into a group and women are like, oh, that's a soft name. Oh, well, this is, why is he here? Oh, my God. What I find it very intriguing to me. Mm. And I don't want this to seem like I'm bashing, you know, our women because I'm not. But I just find it intriguing to me. And I... You, as 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 people know me to be, I'm I'm gonna speak it. You want a you want a good dad. You want a good father at home. Mm-hmm. And I think this is working where I, I I get lost is when that man is being a good father, good dad, good husband, and he's not even just you know he he's trying to just do better. He has his own flaws and everything going mm-hmm. on. He's not perfect all the time, but he's trying to do better. And trying to be better. And then you're getting met. Excuse me. You're getting met. On the other hand. With the negative. From those same women. Am I wrong? 
Damn, am yeah, I wrong? no, that's I think that's what frustrates me the most. Like right. the of people being like, y- y'all got to be better, better dads. Y'all got to be more present. You got to be more this. And as soon as you're that, then it's like something's wrong with you. Like you're not doing what you're <laughs> supposed to do. It's like you can't ever win. And what's I want to say what's also wild is like the extremes of those two things. Like I'll yeah. go out into the city and I'll have people like praising me for being a good dad. And I know it's like they have this like false narrative that black men don't father their right, children. Don't, don't father and so children. as soon as they see you, it's like, here comes a hero walking down. And it's like, I mean, I'm gonna be honest. I like being treated like a hero. <laughs> feels good, But at the same time, it's like, I'm not that extraordinary. There's right. tons of black fathers who are out here doing things. And it's, finding yourself in these weird like extremes where it's like you either criticize me on one end or you like applaud me on the other. But like, is there some type of middle where I can be like, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, but I'm not like mm-hmm. a superhero mm-hmm. at the same time. And, so. and that's, and I think that's both of our questions. Like where is the, the, the middle part here? Because if you get, like you said, if you get praised, it's a, it's, it's being praised in the narrative that as you said, black men don't take care of their fathers. There's, black kids who are fatherless out here um and basically black men are debbie dads right and so that narrative when they see you you know carrying the baby on the baby holster right Mm -hmm. and and you just bouncing and the baby's bouncing and everything they're like oh my god black dad black (laughs) superhero get him the cape get him the cape (laughs) (laughs) then but then what it's not even is it, and 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 I think it's more when they see you but then when they find out that you're actually doing the super dad things you understand what mm-hmm. I'm saying being a father right? right not even being a super dad right take that out of the equation but just being a father right okay like every other father that's out here trying to be better trying to do right by their kids being a father the criticism is like, well, pull it back. Well, why are you mm-hmm. doing this? Well, you're being too soft on him. Well, you're doing mm-hmm. this and you're doing, well, well, what do you want me to do? Because then right. if I leave, because you're annoying me, because then if I leave, then it's like, oh, well, you're not being a, well, I don't know what to do. Right. Constant criticism. <laughs> I, we, we, we don't know what to do. So honestly, that, that honestly goes into our third question when we talk about generational patterns, right? Mm-hmm. We used to call them generational curses. We don't like curses anymore because honestly, I think we're just having uh we're in a we're in a space where we're having a lot of patterns, both negatively and positively, that continue to 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 pop up in our culture, right? So I wanted right. to ask you on top of the one we <laughs> on top of the one we just spewed, what are some generational patterns that you have seen that you have experienced not only as a black man but as a black father too? Um yeah that have you know that have you that you have seen excuse me in a positive light and those that are that have been seen in a negative light for you that you think we uh that you think we need to do better in yeah i really like how you use the word pattern because i think uh something about patterns is you can like really learn from them yes something keeps occurring over and over because it gives you lessons and each time it comes back it's almost like reading a book multiple times you see different things as you have more time with it and so i love the idea of the patterns that we have i think for me and i will start like on the negative Mm -hmm. side 
um, because I, I kind of feel like it leads into, you know, the positive side for me in my right. life. Right. Um, for me, um, you know a bit of my story, but my uncle was shot and killed by the police right. in the front yard of my home when I was little. And my mom, my dad, my grandma, they all witnessed this. Jesus, and rest in peace. Um, I was six. I had two older siblings. And so neither of me or my siblings were there. But what was challenging for me was that um, whether because it was too painful or because these things happened so frequently, um, there wasn't a lot of talk about my uncle or what right. happened. Just a lot of silence around it. Right. And I took that for me into my life and carried that silence with me. And it was something that I was like starting to pass to my sons. Like the idea of some type of trauma comes up. It doesn't have to be, you know, black death, but any type of trauma comes up and you don't talk about it. Right. Kind of just like push that down, hold it in, put it on your, you know, right. and just move on. And for me, it came to a point, especially when I was with my sons, that I was realizing how much of a negative impact that had for them around their agency and being able to like enact change by just talking about the things that happen. And so um, for me, the the first place I go whenever people talk about generational patterns was this um, intergenerational silence that kind of carried through my family line. Um, And I think what's interesting uh, is that my mom, I think she did a really good job of processing what happened. I can like have conversations with her now, which is like we never had before. Mm -hmm. And it does get, I do get a sense of like, she did a great job of processing it. And for me being able to finally start talking about it, I, you know, you hear people all over the place, like let's get some black joy, black joy, talk more about black joy. And for me, it's always been challenging to like, I can, I can tell you about happiness, but like, do I really have the joy and Mm. being able to talk about, the traumas that I've experienced is kind of leading me to the joy. Right. It's getting to a place where I can no longer hold these things inside and I can release them. And now I feel even a little bit lighter, like getting onto the stage and sharing personal stories. There's like this lift that's feel like going from like this weighted feeling of anytime these things happen to being able to talk about it and not hold it inside and just feel lit up even within these traumas. I think to me, that's so much more of, uh, what's leading me to my joy than being able to just be like, let me show you, let me show you the happiest moment. Let me just like distract you from this thing that's happened by telling you some happy story. Um, I think the trauma and the joy are connected or interlinked for me and like leading to one's leading to the other. Um, and that's where I'm at. And I I hope that I get a sense of passing that to my sons because my parents, they had a level of like surviving Mm -hmm. and thriving educationally Mm -hmm. that allowed me to like, so, uh, you know, thrive educate educationally, right. but then also to expand and think of like, how might I think of art? Like, right. what would it look like to use my life and my stories in an artistic way? And it's something that I like, I always return to the Toni Morrison quote about your life being artful. Yes. It's just waiting for you to make art out yes. of it. Um, and that's something that I feel like is a connection and a pattern that I'm hoping is something that I start to do more and more of, um, having art in my life and having my life be art and finding joy um, and, and more of a connection to joy than I think I've had in the past when I've been, I've been happy a ton, but I don't know if I've been joyful all that often. That's a, that's a big question that a lot of us have to ask ourselves. I don't think we've as black men been asking ourselves that one. I was thinking about that myself. Like, yeah, have I, like I've, I've experienced happiness, like he said, but like, am I joyful? You know, like, am I joyful? Like, and, and, and 
I think I am. But <laughs> there, though, I, I, I've been there and had those moments, right? Um, one thing that you said that was very important um, in your in your when you first started speaking about this uh, was that generational lineage of silence, right? Um, I don't think that's just your family. That's a black family mm-hmm. thing, right? Yeah. Um, the 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 quintessential phrase of the black community uh what goes on in the house stays in the house right right um you know that phrase always leads to us and what we're finding as you know younger adults becoming you know the the adults now right um i've always Mm -hmm. I've, i've been saying so far like yo us as the younger adults are now becoming the adults we're coming the mentors the directors of companies and you know of of we're 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 running museums and we're doing art and we're 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 literally occupying so many spaces right now teachers Mm -hmm. doctors lawyers that we're having to come to the realization like oh snap we're 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 actually adulting like this is real Mm -hmm. right and so when we when we when you when you when you when you say that that is such a that is such a, a big thing for me because that's something we've talked about on the show for a long time. Is the is the generation of silence, the pattern of silence that is within not only the black family um tribe, but also within the black community. We 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 sometimes stay silent because either we're numb and we have nothing to say, there's repeated trauma, as you as you pointed out. Right. And you know, when you and as we've seen in our culture right now with, you know, social media and, and you know, continued black bodies being being, you know, just dying at a right. very um, rapid rate over the last like what we can just say like couple years, but just five years. Um, it gets to a numbing point and I've even gotten there to, to a point where sometimes I don't even want to talk about the stories, you right. know on my other platforms because you don't want to continue to see that. Right. Right. And there's this, that, 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 that trauma, that, 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 that kind of underbelly of just like, I don't want to deal with this because I don't want to open the floodgates. I don't want, I I just don't want to, I don't want to deal with those type of emotions. Um, What was your process like to getting, not even to getting there, but getting in the path of getting there, right? Getting to the path of like, okay, I'm going to find joy, right? What mm-hmm. what was it? And and as you said before, it was the stage, and it was you telling your story. Mm-hmm. What was that in that that you know that spark for you that got you to that point? Because a lot of people are looking at you know we have people who relate to this, you know, and I know yeah. there's going to be people who relate to this. Right. So what was it that, that sparked you, you know, for that next person listening, what was that? What was that spark for you? That, that got you to the stage that got you to telling your story. Um, right. That, that has been so traumatic. Yeah. I think, I think the first thing was like, we have our like silence that we hold. Mm-hmm. And there was like, also obviously the silence that's put on us, like the world, 
pushing us to the margins. Like, right, right. This is the space that you have to occupy. I think as a writer, something I know intimately, the publishing world is still to this day, you know, massively white. And so uh, I initially started off trying to write. I used to love write when, writing when I was little. Mm-hmm. And I, st- I was like, I'm going to write again. Like, I'm going to start, you know, sharing these stories. And I found myself like in my apartment here in Brooklyn late at night, just like struggling behind the <laughs> computer just yeah. like trying to get all the perfect words the synonyms trying to send it out places make sure everything's just like perfect and i was sending it around places and it wasn't getting accepted anywhere and so i was like really frustrated and i decided just to like write this piece that for me was like it's just going to be a distraction mm-hmm. um and so i wrote a piece about me and my sons and actually like a moment where i had like messed up like i had told myself i was never going to be late to pick up my sons um, and I got to my son's school bus late. I was on the city bus and it was just a really challenging time. I ended up writing this story just like in about an hour, just like in the notes of my phone, actually, not even mm-hmm. on the computer, just out there and was just like kind of vulnerable and just open and sent it out like shortly after. And it got picked up like immediately. Wow. And that moment for me was like the contrast between what I was trying to do and what like ended up happening, I was really trying to present like this perfect me. Um, and then as soon as I dropped that and was just like honest, then it was like people mm. were accepting and it was like, you know, people don't care about you trying to be perfect. And, and even when you're like being vulnerable and talking about your mistakes, that's when people are like, they, oh, I got you. Like, right, right. I'm exactly like that, too. And so for me, I decided to like go on stage to like see if I could do that, because whenever I write there's this like process of like i'm by myself and i can change the words i can still try and make it perfect but when right. i get on the stage with no notes then it's like you don't have a ch- you don't have a chance to try and present like the perfected you you right. know there's no space for synonyms like you don't have a source <laughs> in your head yeah. like um and so i kind of stumbled on the stage um and had this realization this feeling of like the lift and it wasn't until like maybe my third second or third story i was telling the story about um um, my son, my older son, he would always ask me, I, I told him about one of these traumatic moments in their lives. You know, you're educating your, our youth as it relates to being black before they have to experience this on their own. So I would tell him about different times when people, you know, racism popped up or discrimination popped up just in the education of my child. But he would always ask me this question at the end of the story. I ended up getting surrounded by cops and I wasn't doing anything wrong as, you know, many of us have had cops stop us for, for no good reason, just a racial profiling. Absolutely. And I go into this uh, hotel where I was staying and the people in the hotel had seen me multiple days and they were like completely shocked. They, they wanted to know if I wanted to report it. And I'm like, why would you report it? Like this, like the hotel people are going to go against the police and get them to be like, oh yeah, we did something wrong. Like, no, nothing's <laughs> going to happen from, from that. Like they don't, they don't care about your opinion right. or anything like that. Right. And my son would always ask me, like, why didn't you report it? Like, why didn't you report it? Like, for years. And I would always tell him, like, nothing's going to happen over and over. I'd tell him that. Um, and then one day I was, like, uh, in this bus and this lady, like we often do, there was a, this lady and the, this family, this woman, this man, and the little child. And I saw that their backpack was open and they're, like, they had passports that were, like, right there in the side. And I was, like should I help or should I not? It was the white family mm. kind of obvious, but I, in my head, I was like, ah, nah, like I, I don't, I'm good. Um, but then I was like, dang, if those drop out though, uh, it's going to be a mess. I don't right, want to leave them. Right, so right. I just, you know, tapped the dead. 
uh, got his attention, was like, you know, your, your backpack's open. I just wanted to let you know. And I left it at that. Um, but he's got his son in his arms and he's like trying to reach around on one side, on the other side. He can't get to this thing. So I'm like, man, let me help this dad out, like fellow dad. So I just right. zip it shut. Um, and the dad like kind of nods at me, like just a nod of thank you. And then like his wife leans in and like tries to pretend like she's kissing him on the cheek, but she whispers in his ear. Um, and I can't hear what he's saying, what she's saying to him, mm-hmm. but like the, he had ended up putting his son down right after and turned his back away from me where his backpack was like into the crowd of people on the other side. And like, as a black person, we know what this is. Like, let me turn the bag away from the people. And I'm like, dang, like for real, like I was here helping y'all. Like, and, and, no. and I've had so many of these situations where it's just like, how about, like, whatever, like, let me just laugh it off. These people are ignorant. This is, and you know, <laughs> forget these people, the, the PG version, forget these people. Right. And I go, I go back to doing what I was doing, but when I do, I look down and I see the little son uh, that he had put down. He was like looking at me just like intensely. And I'm like processing through his eyes. Like he definitely heard what his mom said. And now he's looking at me and it's like, I don't know what he's thinking, but it like, it feels like he's trying to figure something out. Like, mm-hmm. what is it, what is it up with this person that we should be worried about mm-hmm. them? And just like in that process of realizing that that mom's words, those that whisper that I couldn't even hear had such an impact on her son it hit me that like my words had an impact on my son. And I was telling him over and over, there's nothing that I could have done differently. Like if, who cares if we report it, nothing's going to happen. Right. And just in the process of telling him that like three years in a row, it really hit me heavy that I was like basically telling him we have no power to make any change. Like right. we have no hope. Our words don't matter. And it's, it was devastating for me as a black dad to think that I'm putting that message on him, that our words don't matter, that we can't change this. Right. And so that was a big push for me to say like, all right, every single story that I have to share, like I'm going to speak up and, and say it. I'm not going to hold this inside thinking that like, this and it really connects back to the quote from Audre Lorde, where she talks about like, your silence won't protect you. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, that was like my biggest spark and, to be able to start sharing my stories everywhere and to still have, you know, an awareness of who's in the room when I'm sharing it, because there are people who will, you know, they'll hear a story. I'll be talking about me and my sons. Obviously it's going to have race in it because I'm black. Um, But then it's not really about race. It'll be about something else. And if I tell it to the wrong audience or the people are in there, they can then run with that and try and use it as like a whole different conversation. And so definitely a mindfulness of who I'm sharing with, but, the idea of me keeping things inside or me letting other people tell me not to share something like, no, no more period. Share all our stories. Share them all. I think what you said about your son really goes into our, um, our next question, which tends to talk about, um, how we can help. Well, not, well, yeah, improve and help and assist the next generation. Like you're, you're, you're a black dad. You're literally at the forefront of it. Mm-hmm. Not just being a dad, being a mentor, being a helping hand. Yeah, you know, being, 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 you know, that person who is different from the generations from you know before us, right? And yeah. I think, I think what we sometimes have to understand as black folks is that 
when we say we want you to be better than us, mm. and I think we've heard that. I know I've heard that mm-hmm. um, through my lifetime growing up. I want you to be better than me. I always have the question of, do you really mean it? Especially mm. now. Do you really yeah. mean it? And when we talk about how we can improve the next generation, individually mm-hmm. and collectively, I always think about that. So what, what, what would be your answer to that in a sense where how can we as black men individually and collectively really help, I'm sorry, and continue to shape um, the minds and the hearts and the work ethic of these, uh, of the, the next generation that's coming up after us? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it's interesting when I tell some of my stories about my parents and like the silence that we didn't talk about my uncle, I think some people take it in a way where it's like they, they hear it as like, oh, they did a bad job. And it's, it's not, you know, they didn't do a bad job. They did an excellent job. And what they did allowed me to get to where I am today. And so I appreciate the idea of they got me to hear what's the next thing, where's the next generation going to get to from where we are today. And so I think what you said about I want you to be better than me is something definitely where I started off in a sense of like, I want my kids to be different than me. Right. Like, I, I just got this sense of like, uh, an acute awareness of like my insecurities and my weaknesses mm-hmm. that I don't want them to like carry those insecurities and weaknesses from me and like think that that's got to be their life and that they should right. follow my path. Right. And so I think I started off from this place of like, oh, I want my kids to be different. Mm-hmm. And then as my kids started getting older, there was like this shift in like, oh, no, these are actually human beings. Like right, right, right. They, they have their own not even they're going to be different than me. They are already different than me. They're very unique. And so um, what are the ways in which I can show up to like allow them to be more of themselves rather than to be less of me? Um, And I think just right off the bat, the idea of listening to our, the next generation, even as they're young, to be able to say what they need and to say who they are and to like kind of meet them where they're at and to give them the space to like be Yes. As opposed to like minimizing them and telling them this is where you fit. You fit into this small little square where I put you, right? And you're gonna do the, you're gonna do these things. You're gonna do these activities that I say that you're gonna do. And to think about it in a way where we can really open up and expand and allow them to be big. Right. Um, that's something for me that was like a struggle showing up in spaces um, and often minimizing myself. Right. You, know, you hit it yeah. up right after the beginning with like gas yourself. But there's many times where I'll go into a room and I'm the one. Nobody even has to do it to me. I'm already minimizing myself, worried about what this person will say, <laughs> the racism that's going to come. And now I'm, I'm already in this box. Like yep, nobody can judge yep, me. Nobody can yep. say anything because I've minimized myself to yep. this amount. And so I think what I, the thing that I would love to pass to the next generation, whether through my sons or just through interacting with young people um, in the community, is just this idea of like you are an expansive, huge, massive being that can like take up a ton of space you can command a room with your voice you can draw people's attention with the things that you create and you don't even have to wait until you're an adult some of the things that you can have an impact in the world can happen now and we see that like all over the world with young people who are having an impact um globally with global warming with um you know racial justice and uh, all types of things. And I'm loving seeing young people come through and like knowing about voting rights, which I 
you know, had to fight through and learn and like read and like yes. these this yes. next generation, I feel like they understand um, how the different systems work. And I love to see the ways in which they're expanding earlier and not waiting for us to give them permission to like, all right, now it's your turn. Let me hand the torch. And it's like, nah, like I was hold- holding the torch with you this whole time. Thank right. you for acknowledging that I'm here and that I exist and that I, that I have power and agency. So. Absolutely. I think the one thing that you said that really impacted me was do not shrink. Mm. Do not shrink. Everything you said is spot on, but that do not shrink that minimize. Yeah. That is so big because we get in it. The one thing that I've come to learn, I know just about me, but just about ourselves and, and as black people period is that we can get inside our own heads a lot of times. And the fine, the funny thing about it is we show it on our faces. I mm-hmm. know I really do, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, 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 we we show it on our faces. We can tell or just body language, right? Um, I got my degree in communications, my master's and my 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 bachelor, so I can pretty much tell when you're getting nervous and when you're sweating and how you're feeling and everything like that. If you if 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 you start to shrink yourself, how I know right. I've done it. Mm-hmm. And it's a work in progress. You understand what I'm saying? It really is. But Absolutely. that is yeah. so important for you to say because we do not want us nor the generation behind us to shrink themselves. As you said, we are full out 100% expansive beings out here that can do so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We can do so I, I much. Love that. And it's I love like, that. Yeah. Go. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to uh, say what you said. The the one of the places where it's a work in progress. I was just realizing that I, I'm a person that like is all about accountability. But for me, sometimes I lose sight of what accountability is and apologizing everywhere I go. Right. And like I'll go into this space, apologize for like existing even in some places. So I just wanted to say like in terms of you echoing that back to me, the work in progress to remind myself that like. Every day, I gotta come into and be like, "Am I shrinking? Oh, absolutely. Where am I shrinking?" Yeah, so. <laughs> yes, bro. Yeah, absolutely, bro. Listen, I, I I continuously have to tell myself that every day. Um, there was a moment in time, and I'll I'll be honest here. There was a moment in time when I was building my podcast that I would shrink myself. One because I thought, and honestly, it was it was just this: people didn't take me as serious back then as they kind of do now. Mm-hmm. Um, even as I've had the consistency that I've had over the last five years, they didn't take me as serious now. So when I'm going into spaces, I may shrink myself because I don't feel when I walk into a event or networking event or some space where I can hand out my business card or whatever, I'm shrinking mm-hmm. myself. Now, I think I'm, I'm, okay enough when somebody asks me about my company to explain to them what I do Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. in a sense of this is what I do x y and z but I think the the shrinking is not just you telling them about your business but telling them who you are and the personality Mm -hmm. that you show up with every day right right and I've had to work on that I've had to work on, okay, let me not shrink for no mother effort, right? Let, let right. me not shrink for nobody. I don't care if it's my boss. I don't care if it's, 
you know, the person who I'm working on getting sponsored with, I don't care. I'm not about to shrink because me shrinking didn't allow me to get here. You mm-hmm. understand what I'm saying? And absolutely. And so when we say it's a work in progress, it really is because we're inside of our heads so much. And our th- our own thoughts will be our own demise sometimes. It's not even nothing else. It's right. us being in our head, literally doubting ourselves. And we right. have to stop doing that. We have to stop doing that. Seriously. Right. Absolutely. We have to stop doing that. Um, last question on the docket. What mm-hmm. does black men win uh black men win mean to you? When you hear the phrase, what does that mean to you? How does that make you Yeah. I think it comes right off of what you were saying. Um for you and your podcast, for you and business, the idea of like going into every space and being able to tell people about your your business, but also tell them about you. Absolutely. To me, Black Men Win is like even this space that we're in now. Right. Like being able to be around, surround yourself with people and being one of the people that is like shining out in the world, like being free to like, I'm going to, I'm a, I'm the sun, like I'm going to blaze right. and I don't have to worry about shrinking or, or dimming myself for anyone. And really, if I surround myself with these right people, um, their shine lights me up and I'm shine even more. And so like the idea for me, black men win is like what this is right here. You talk about all the things, you know, that you've had to come through and where you've gotten to with your business lighting me up. I feel like, you know, alive in this moment and being able to go into the world and take that light, the light inside of me, the light inside of you and to shine and specifically within our community where now each of us is out here shining and we become this community that's empowered to have all the successes that we want, all the areas of connection that we want to belong without any asking anyone if we belong. And the idea of like letting the narratives that we let exist in the past, just kind of shrink away. Like we are so much more than, than those narratives. And so I think for me, you know, black men win is we have, have constantly been resilient and strong and successful. And because of that, now we get to go into this space where we get to expand and be bright and get to be like the light of the world of sorts. Right. Um, there's so much power within who we are as individuals, as black men, that if we just start going out into the world and shining, to me, that's like black man wins every day. Hey, come on. Let's give, let's give that a hand clap. Come on now. My brother came through. My brother came through with a great interview. He done dropped some gems on us. Man, Devin, where can they find you? How can people get in touch with you? Social media pages, email, Snapchat, Venmo, Cash App. No. Yeah, yeah, Venmo. <laughs> Definitely Cash App. Find me on. <laughs> I, I heard somebody talking about they stopped giving out their bio and just started giving out no, their cash, cash app. app no, literally- <laughs> <laughs> people can find me on all social media. Just my name, Devin Sandiford. That's Devin with an A D E V A N Sandiford. Um, and also at my website, devinsandiford.com. I have a, a newsletter where I, uh, I'm, I'm probably the most unfiltered version of myself. Like you, we talked about it being a process mm-hmm. of, um, and so, I'm still learning to be the most me in all these specifically public places. So the right. newsletter is like where I'm probably the most, maybe on the stage, but in my newsletters and on stage, the most me. And so um, I invite people to go there and I do do like um, storytelling workshops, which I think people, when they hear it, they're like uh, thinking about like doing the work right. and there is some work behind it. But for me, there's a lot of weight towards like the empowerment of like, 
like giving you permission. Some people just feel right. like they need permission and you obviously, you know, you already have permission, but um, a lot of the places that I go into and do storytelling workshops, that's what it is for me. Letting right. people know that like that small thing you think is small is actually big. And if you share it, like you're going to be impacting yourself, your family, your community. And so storytelling workshops are like the place I love connecting with people. You can find out more on my website or just connect with me on social media. All right. Evan, we appreciate you again. Thank you so much for coming through. Um, and again, to everybody that's watching and listening, we appreciate you for tuning in. Make sure that you tap in again. Uh, follow the podcast. Subscribe to the podcast. Follow the podcast on Instagram and Facebook. You can follow us on Instagram at underscore BMW podcast and on Facebook at the Black Men Win podcast. All right. Love you guys. We'll be back uh, with another interview. This has been another one. And we are out. We'll see you guys for another one. Peace, love, and hair grease. We out.